I know they've been working in the Sunday School Department. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, we will not have service here because of Thanksgiving, but I think the choir is going to be meeting at 6 o'clock, and uh, so don't forget that. <laughs> so also right after church, a uh, short meeting in the prayer room for those interested in going to Israel. But we are thankful that all of you are here, and it's a great week to give thanks and to remember. Uh, of course, <clears throat> this country, uh, Thanksgiving, is unique to us. It was, um, in one sense, some uh, pilgrims, I guess, that um, were having a, a time where they were thankful after having the, you know, the uh, history of going through uh, the, the winter and then having summer and surviving and harsh and, and uh, probably maybe one of the last big meals before uh, hit, hitting the winter again. And uh, we'll probably all overeat like we're going into hibernation and and then maybe, um, you know, spend too much money on Black Friday and all of those kind of things. I, I'm amazed at all the texts and emails and things that I get of telling me the things that I can't live without uh, this week. And I'm thinking, wow. I didn't realize how bad I had my life until uh, you uh, told me. But it's good to have all of you here. Good to see uh, Amy and Vishnu, or Vishna, I guess, uh, here. And uh, good to have all of our guests and visitors already been mentioned by Brother Nick. And if we didn't mention you, I apologize. We are thankful you're here. We are um, <coughs> growing. That's it, growing uh, apostolic legacy. We are uh, hopefully growing in knowledge, growing in wisdom. We've been talking about the last couple of Sundays, three Sundays or so, on uh, getting rid of the works of the flesh and uh, that come up through pride. Not necessarily wickedness, but ungodliness. Obviously, uh, we have to uh, get rid of uh, wickedness. Wickedness is not uh, supposed to be a part of our life, but uh, for sure uh, there should be a sense of uh, ungodliness sometimes that can creep in. And then Wednesday night we talked about trying to be godly and how do you approach being godly and what is godliness. And we looked at uh, some of uh, the aspects of uh, verses and we found uh, <coughs> that probably... Um, 99.9% and I don't know who the 0.1% is uh, but are ungodly a lot and we need to uh, find we found ourselves under the microscope and said oh Lord uh, I need help I need uh, you know I'm the chiefest of sinners and as we looked at our relationship to God and uh, do I always act in humility and do I always uh, respond 
in some of those things. Uh, that's where uh, we have that sense of, uh, Lord, I need your presence and I need you. And so today, uh, after wrestling for three or four weeks with my wickedness and uh, the fact that I, uh, my, my ungodliness rather, I hope I don't have any wickedness, my ungodliness and uh, then my uh, sometimes not being godly, I uh, was sufficiently depressed. <laughs> so the Lord said, you need to preach about abundant life and because when Jesus came he said uh, these words the thief comes not but to steal kill and destroy and we all can quote that but the last part of that verse says and I am come that they have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What's more abundant life? It is life that goes beyond just living. If you are in a, a sort of a cage with a, like a gerbil with a wheel and you find yourself just going through the motions and going round and round and spinning, that's not what the Lord has wanted you to have. He came so that you could have abundant life. Abundant. The word there in the Greek means an overflowing life, a supreme life, an exceeding life. It is the same phrase that's used in Ephesians, the third chapter, where he says, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to what? The power that works in us. So there is a power that the Lord wants to give us with the Holy Ghost that is going to be able to bring and produce this abundant life. And one of the attributes of an abundant life is a feeling of joy. Jesus himself on the night that he was in the garden of Gethsemane praying before he was going to be crucified. You read St. John, the 17th chapter. He was there in great agony. It says, in fact, he began to sweat, as it were, drops of blood. This was not an easy situation to face from a humanity standpoint. This was not you know, you want to talk about a trial. This was, he was facing and he knew that it was going to be not just a quick death, execution over and done with, but it was going to be a grueling night and that he was going to be bombarded with spirits and he was going to be tempted sorely. They were going to make fun of him. They were going to laugh at him. They were going to mock him. They were going to do all kinds and he knew that was coming. He knew what the next 24 to 48 hours was going to hold for him. And he takes his disciples and he said, I'm going to have to pray. I am going to have to pray. And he goes off and he prays. St. John the 17th chapter records part of this prayer that Jesus prayed for an hour. He was praying. And, and part of it, you read as you read through this chapter, he says, I pray for them. I pray not
not for the world, but for them which you've given me, for they are thine. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that that might that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now can you imagine? You're facing the trial of your life and you're praying, I want to make sure that my disciples have joy. He knew it was going to be a devastating turn. He knew this was going to be one of the most devastating trials. In fact, we read that, that some of the disciples after the resurrection even were so discouraged that they left to go to another city because they were overwhelmed with what had happened in Jerusalem. It had crushed them, their ideas, their dreams, what they thought was going to happen, the victory they thought was going to see. And Jesus, you remember, walked on the road to Emmaus with a couple of them and, and talked to them about the prophets and the law and encouraged them. But he knew this was going to be a devastating trial of their faith. But yet he was saying, I am praying for their joy. I want them to have joy in themselves. What are you saying? That my joy might be fulfilled in them. Now, we know that that joy, uh, you know, Paul wrote about, and when he talked about us receiving the Holy Ghost, he says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Why would you put righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And then he says, for he that in these things serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. In other words, if you will serve God righteously and with peace and with joy, then you are accepted to God. Now we understand, okay, I need to live right. And we've been talking about it. Get rid of ungodliness. No, not having any wickedness. Making sure I have, <clears throat> trying to be godly. I'm going to do what's right. I understand righteousness. I'm supposed to live righteous, pastor. I'm supposed to do the five things, ten things, twenty things, whatever it is. I'll take the list. You can pick up a list on your way out the door. Read it. Put it in your Bible. That's good. But there's also supposed to be a sense of peace about you. That's just as important as righteousness. There's also supposed to be some joy. That's also just as important as righteousness. He says... If you will do these things, you'll be acceptable unto God and approved of men. Why? Because, you know, quite honestly, nobody likes to be around somebody that's not doing what's right. You know, I mean, if I walk up and I'm, I'm sort of like, uh-oh, where's my wallet? So-and-so is coming over here. What am I going to do? I need to guard my pocketbook. I need to put my hand on my... Huh? I'm not sure they're going to do right. Or, or you know, uh-oh, 
Have you ever had a meeting scheduled with somebody and you think, oh boy, I, I'm going to get it today. Huh? I know. The boss called me in. It's not going to be nice. Huh? No peace. What are you talking about? I... Uh, you know, nobody wants to be around somebody that's just, oh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what, I, I, you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'll pray for you. God bless you. Huh? We don't want to be around somebody that is just lack of peace. We don't want to be bad. And nobody even likes, you know, there's no joy in Mudville. <laughs> you know, Eeyore. I mean, nobody wants to say, Praise the Lord. I want to go see Cousin Eeyore. He's going to be here at Thanksgiving, you know. How you doing, Cousin Eeyore? Oh. <laughs> you think, oh. Well, it's been a great year, hasn't it? Oh, I guess. If you say so. I don't know. You know, they walk around with a little rain cloud over their head. Well, you know, at some point, that's not acceptable to most people. Most people go, you know, thank you, but no thank you. I understand we can all have a bad day and we can all have, be anxious and we can all be uh, worried about things. But if you have to live, that's why he says righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost for they that do these things serve God, Christ and acceptable unto God and is approved unto men. Later on, the next chapter, he says, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. How? Through the power of the Holy Ghost. And so when, when you think in terms of this world, and, and I, you know, as I have told you, you know, if you listen to talk radio, if you listen to the news, I don't care if you listen to uh, what the Republicans say or the Democrats say or what uh, the economics or the po politics, it, you can find yourself overwhelmed. That's when you need to say, Lord, I need the strength of the Holy Ghost because I need the God of hope to fill my life with peace and with joy. In fact, Paul sort of began closing up Romans and he said that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. In fact, Paul was very specific about all of this. In fact, he commanded the early church to learn how to joy and then I'll call it rejoy. You know? Because that's what the word means. Whenever it says rejoice evermore, that means to rejoy, to boost up my joy. When you rejoice, you know? In Philippians, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. So, now he wrote 
Philippians from jail and Thessalonians. And so, you know, you say, well, Paul was encouraging himself. I don't know, maybe, but you know what? The enemy does his best to steal our joy. You've got to understand that one of the things, yes, he wants us to be unrighteous. Yes, he wants us to feel like we are not righteous. He wants us not to have peace and he wants us not to have joy. That's whenever Jesus said, I am come, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and life more abundantly. That's the key. You've got to remember. And you say, well, but when you're telling me I need to change this and I need to do this, but you need to do it with joy. You need to understand with joy. I draw water from the wells of salvation with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. The Lord's been good to me. I'm glad he's still working on me. I'm glad he's still helping me. I'm glad he's still correcting me. If, if, you, if you lose sight of that, then, you know, you, you, you will find yourself drifting. And as I said, whether it's, whether it's sin, it, you know, getting us off track with sin robs us of our joy. You can fool me. You can, you can, you know, you can come here and sit on Sunday morning. I don't know what you're doing. I don't have any, I don't have God's Bureau of Investigation, the GBI following you. I don't know. I'm okay, I, you know, and yet you can come and you can clap your hands and you can put a smile on your face. <clears throat> but when you know I've got some area in my life that I need to work on, it eats away at your joy. And if you're not careful, when you realize, you know what, whether it's a transgression or it's an iniquity, that's why David, when you read Psalms of 51st chapter, <clears throat> you know, uh, you can lie to me, you know, you can fool me, you can tell me, oh, it's all wonderful, but there's something spiritual the Lord will start working on. That's why you might as well be honest and say, Lord, I need help here. I need, to, I need you to wash me here. I need to be... Uh, I need to get it right here. Why? Because David said, have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. David knew he had transgressed. He said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. That's the first part. You got to say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm guilty. I, I need help. If you come in and you act like, well, I've got it together. Look, got a tie on. I got a suit on. I'm nice. I'm, I've got it together. I don't need anything. You will never have the real joy that you need to have. And the key here is that we be full of joy. That's what he said. David said in Psalms 51, read it, the whole chapter. It's not a long chapter. Behold, you desire truth where? On the inward parts. And then he said, make me to hear joy and gladness. Create in me, Lord, a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit in me. Restore unto me the 
and uphold me with your free spirit. What are you saying? I'm saying in this hour, there is so much that the enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He is trying to get us so far from the joy of the Lord. He wants us to somehow get bogged down. And that's when you just have to be honest. It doesn't take a week. It doesn't take a month. It doesn't take two days. You can just say, Lord, wash me. Cleanse me. Wash my mind. Oh, you may have to set up some boundaries and you may have to get accountable. And we've talked about that. But I'm going to tell you, the peace of God, the righteousness of God, and the joy of the Holy Ghost can come immediately wherever you are and restore unto you the joy of your salvation. But you can't do it without having truth on the inward part. Without being real about where you are. You know, well, it's not my fault. It's his fault. It's not my fault. It's what they did. Huh? You will find yourself. Let me show you. David went on. Psalms 32. And he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man into whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Man, what a blessing that is. And whose spirit there is no guile. You know what guile means? Deceit. Okay, well, you know, all right, I did mess up a little bit. But I'm not going to talk about all the other junk in the backyard. You're not going to feel the joy of the, of the Holy Ghost washing through you. As long as you're trying to fake me out, God out, your spouse out, your kids out, huh? That's where you just got to be real and say, you know what? I don't want to have any guile. I don't want to have any deceit. I just want to come in and say, Lord, I am so blessed. I, you, you see, when David even acknowledges here, he said, when I kept silence, what happened? My bones got old. It will eat at you from the inside. You want to talk about spiritual bone cancer try to live a life of hypocrisy try to live a life where you're covering up all the stuff that God's trying to work on better to be honest and say here it is on the table I need you Lord huh I'm thankful oh that I have a God that loves me that I can go to that I can be real with. Why? He said, it waxed my bones old and roaring and day and night your hand was heavy and I, my moisture is turned into drought of summer. Oh, he's like, oh, I'm just, it's eating me up. And I want to tell you, that's the trick of the enemy. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you to get eaten up from the inside out. He can work on your mind. He can work on your emotions. He can work on your feelings, your spirit. Oh, you're, you're susceptible to anything. Why? Because God wants us to live with abundant life. Life 
and life more abundantly. He said, I acknowledge, David goes on, I acknowledge my sin before thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I have said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Oh, why are you doing all of that, David? Well, because if I don't understand, Lord, you will forgive me if I'm real. And then I can, listen, listen to how he ends up this psalm, Psalms 32, another chapter you ought to read. He said, I'll be glad in the Lord and and do what? Rejoice. Get joy again for <laughs> ye righteous and shout for joy. Now he's going to break into song. Now he's having a song service. All ye that upright in heart at the end of this psalm, you see David is shouting and singing and having a joyful time. And that's what the Lord wants. The Lord is not, you know, when people say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad it's been. I, I understand. I got it. We can go. We can compare sins and you can look at mine and I can look at yours and we can all. And I understand you can get help and we can be. But you know what? You know how long it takes the Lord to forgive and to cleanse and to wash? It takes just as long as it takes you to confess and be honest and then say, I want to feel the joy of the Lord. Oh, I I may have the consequences of my sin. I got it. But the joy of the Lord can strengthen you in the midst of everything you're going through if you're real and honest about it. That's what David was saying. If not, it ends up getting into your bones. So sin is one of the things that destroys joy. Another one of the things that destroys joy, especially if you have children, you know this to be true, is if you discipline them. Huh? I mean, they can be having a wonderful time, and then you say, okay, now I'm going to correct some behavior. Oh. Huh? It's like, you know, you immediately turn the dial. Oh, man. I'm depressed. This is the worst day of my life. I've never had a day this bad in my life. You don't understand. Look, I, I just ask you to pick up your colors. Oh! I just wanted you not to throw that at your sister. Oh, how could you? And then immediately I start a little attitude of, well, you know, you don't get on to her, you don't get on to him, you don't it's not really my fault. You don't know what they did. They're the one that set me up. Huh? And my attitude goes south real quick. Not me. Not our grandchildren. Not my girls when they were little. No. None of us. But I'm just saying people in the world. discipline. In fact, Paul acknowledged that. He talked about, we have, you read it in Hebrews the 12th chapter, he said we have this, we're compassed with this great cloud of witnesses so lay aside every sin and weight that does so easily beset you. Run with patience. You know what that word patience means there? Endurance. Oh, I don't like that word. Run with endurance. You know, 
I can just read about exercise or read about running. I don't even want to run. The race that is set before us, doing what? Keeping your eyes where? On Jesus, who is the author and the finisher. Oh, I'm so glad he's going to be the one carrying me across the line. He that began a good work in you is able. Huh? You don't have to worry. You say, well, I can't make this. I can't do it. I can't go through it. I can't. Let me tell you, you're teamed up with the Lord. He is able to pick you up. He got you out of the mire. He's able to bring you across the finish line. That's enough to be thankful for. If you've been yoked to him, you know, you can't run anymore. Pick your feet up. He'll carry you. Huh? Rejoice. Be thankful. My teammates with me. I mean, you know, you say, well, he's the author and finisher of our faith. Who for, how did he do it? He had to keep looking for what? The joy that was set before him. That's what helped him endure the cross. You can't endure where you are. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The only way to develop the endurance that you need to survive in this hour is to rejoice. You have to have joy. You say, well, I don't have any joy. There's no joy in our life. Well, I'll go on a vacation. That'll bring me joy. I'll go shopping. That'll bring me joy. I'll buy a pair of shoes. I'll order a pizza. That brings joy. No, it doesn't. Oh, you know, while you're trying the shoe store, you might have a little joy, but it doesn't bring joy. Stuff doesn't bring joy. Going on a vacation doesn't bring joy. A new iPhone doesn't bring joy because by the time you get it and look at it, they want to update it. Then it messes it all up. And then somebody comes out with something slicker. And you think, man, why did I get this one? I could have had a Galaxy or a Samsung or whatever. Huh? Joy, that doesn't come from stuff. You've got to have a spiritual source of joy. He said that you have to realize there is joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. That he said, consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself or you will end up wearied and faint in your... This hour, the enemy will overwhelm your mind and your emotions. Oh, not me. He, I, I, can, I can handle it. No, you can't. We are living now, fixing to hit 2000, 2020, and I'm going to tell you, we need the joy of the Lord more than ever before. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You keep reading in this 12th chapter, he goes on and he says, you've not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And then he, he explains why discipline can make us feel bad. He said, despise not the chastening of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord. For don't faint when you're rebuked. You know, and we are living in such a thin-skinned hour. 
don't want to be corrected from anything. Nobody does. Don't tell me anything. You know, if you do anything that stresses me out, I'll get my color crayons out. I just can't take it. I can't handle at all being corrected. Huh? I mean, that's the hour we're living in. And, and I need, and I'm not, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying, because of the stress level, because of the anxiety, everything is personal. If I look at you wrong, if I, you know, it, it doesn't matter. If, if I'm driving down the freeway and I, I, I don't even have to get up close. And if I, you know, a car's out in the fast lane and I go on the inside lane, just the fact that I'm going on the inside lane. Some of them get like, you're trying to go around me on the inside, I'll show you. And I'm going to speed up. And I'm like, okay, speed up. I, I'm not trying to go around you. But I, and then they speed up and then they get over in front of me. Well, it's like, it's okay. I was just driving on. Why are you upset? Why is your day so stressed out? And we're living in that kind of an hour where, you know, you look at something, you know, you, you best just kind of keep your head down when you walk in the store. Huh? What are you looking at? What are you doing? That's the hour we're living in. You wonder why somebody needs a dog or a cat or a stress animal? I mean, I need a stress animal. <laughs> and you buy a dog and dogs produce stress. <laughs> Cats produce stress. You got to feed them and water them and take them out. <laughs> Get a pony. That is, I'll have stress under a pony too. <laughs> David was gone this week. Sheena was up at the house and so one morning she says, Dad, I need you to take out my dogs and feed my dogs and give my dogs medicine. I'm like, they're not my dogs. <laughs> I was stressed, so I went out and bought a cat so that I would <laughs> calm down from having to feed her dogs. <laughs> now we've got a holy war going on. <laughs> the cat part was just a fake. Sorry, that was a parable. I didn't buy a cat. I'm <laughs> buying a cat. But, you know, I don't want to be corrected. Nobody wants to be told I'm wrong. You know, we don't want to go to church and be told I'm done doing wrong. I don't want to go to school and be told I'm doing wrong. I want to make sure you, you know that you build up my self-esteem. Tell me how good I am and how wonderful I am. Don't tell me, well, you could have done this a little different. Oh, 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 oh. Huh? And yet that's the hour in which we are living. And it's because of where we are in the enemies to steal, kill, and destroy the little bit of discipline that I feel from the Lord. Ooh, I don't like that. I don't like going to church and feeling all that stuff, you know, like I need to do something different. And, and we get, I get, you know, George Barna and others have sent out surveys and said, you know, if you really want to have a growing church, don't preach against sin because people don't like to hear that. So, okay. Don't tell them they need to repent. People don't like that either. Okay. Don't tell them that, you know, 
I'm like, well, what can I tell them? You're a champion and God's with you? I believe that. But guess what? God is also wanting to discipline me so that I have real joy that comes straight from the throne of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Not a false sense of I'm okay, everything's wonderful, and yet I'm being torn up on the inside. He wants a genuine, real a resp response from me that there's joy in my life. He doesn't want me sitting there and being eaten up and torn up and destroyed on the inside whenever my, with, by the enemy and feelings and anger and frustration. He wants me to lay it at the altar and say, Lord, I want you to fill me with the joy of the Lord. He said here, if our fathers corrected us, we gave them reverence. In other words, we were afraid of the belt or whatever. <laughs> we respected them. How should we not be subject unto the Father of spirits and live? You keep reading in Romans, uh, Hebrews rather, the 12th chapter. He said, for barely a few days after he chastens us for after they chastened us for their own pleasure, but he for our profit. In other words, the Lord is not going to correct anything in us that's not going to be for our good. You have to understand that. Now, I might, you know, feel like, oh, you know, should I correct you know, my children for wanting to eat ice cream all the time. I'm doing it hopefully for their good. I know if I don't do that, it's not for their good. The key here is that's what the Lord is all about. Now, <clears throat> no chastening for the present seems to be what? Joyous. Nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody likes to feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Nobody likes to feel like, you know, no, it, Paul said, no correction seems to be joyous, but grievous. But it yields afterwards the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. What you've got to remember is, okay, if it's sin, I need to get it forgiven. I can get it forgiven in a moment. If it's discipline, I need to say, Lord, I want to go through it. Why? Because I know you're doing this for my good. You're not trying to punish me. I want to tell you something. The Lord does not punish yet. That whenever the day of wrath comes, he's going to punish all the wicked. He is not punishing you. He is is correcting you possibly but it's for you to get it right meaning that he wants you to turn it around he wants you to do different he wants you to live your life abundantly and not only abundantly but more abundantly it's not about well I want to show you I'm going to put my thumb on you I'm going to make sure you know how bad no this is for me to get it right well, you know it's like you we, we tell our children we used to always tell our children yeah I, I'm correcting you not just for this time but so that next time you're going to do do better you're going to do right because it's not over it's not the death knell he's going to correct us so that we get it right and not only Sin, not only discipline, 
But putting our trust in something other than God can rob you of your joy. Called will worship. You know, if you put your trust, you put your trust solely in the doctors, that can rob you of your joy. You put your trust solely in the <coughs> attorneys, that'll rob you of your joy. Put your anything you put your trust in can rob you of your joy. What do you say? I, my well, I'm going to put my trust. I'm going to have the best job. I'm, let me tell you, my trust is in the Lord. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians. He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For we are the circumcision which worship the Lord in spirit and rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh of any man hereafter that whereof that he might trust in the flesh, I more. And then he starts listing. You read it in the third chapter. He lists all the things that he's, that he's awesome. He said, I was born a, a Jew. I've been a Pharisee. I've got this. I've been circumcised. I, hmm? He said, I could, you know, look at who I am. Well, I, you don't know what family I came from, and you don't know how, how important I am, and you don't know. Oh, great. I'm this, and I'm that, and I've got this, and I've got the confidence in the flesh. I want to tell you, it'll rob your joy. Ask Prince Andrew this week. Huh? I'm of the royal family. Yeah? You just lost your job, buddy. He said, I, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He goes on down as he reads from chapter 3 verses 1 through 9. He says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, but do count them but dung. Why? That I might win Christ and being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ and the righteousness which is of God by faith. What are you saying? He is basically saying, he said, I rejoice. He started this in the third chapter, rejoice in the Lord. He said, I'm not rejoicing in the fact that I was born Jewish. I'm not rejoicing in the fact that I was circumcised. I'm not rejoicing and well, I go to church. I'm rejoicing that, no, I'm rejoicing that the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Oh, you have to understand, even Jesus himself, you remember whenever with the disciples whenever he sent them out and he said go and out and, and minister and they came back and they were rejoicing and you know what they were rejoicing about hey Jesus devils are subject to us look at our ministry aren't we cool demons are subject to me and Jesus said don't rejoice about that I don't even care he said, well, I, I have a great ministry. I, I was able to heal the sick, raise the dead. I was able to cast out devils. I was able to preach in 500,000, got the Holy Ghost. That's wonderful. But if you rejoice in that, I don't care if it's something good. It's not going to save your soul. No matter how many licenses you have, no matter how many 
missionary trips you've been on, no matter how many souls that have been filled with the Holy Ghost under your ministry, the only thing that'll save me is one drop of blood from Calvary. I rejoice not in what I've done, but in who he is. Read it. Jeremiah said, blessed in the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters and he goes on through that. So all of these things can rob your joy. Another one, and we know and probably intuitively know, yes, sin and yes, discipline and yes, that sense of putting confidence in other things and believing, you know, I'm all of that. removes the spirit of humility, but it probably the last one. And that, there are other things that will rob us of our joy, but a trial of your faith. I don't want to ask anybody who ever had a trial of your faith. Because you can have a trial of your faith whether it's super severe or not. It can be just, you know, something you're going through or the way somebody treated you or the way somebody said or sickness or an illness. Or, huh? It just wears on you. Something happened and it just becomes, it gets into my spirit. Huh? It becomes a trial of my faith. Job started off, if you remember, when Job said, naked I came out of my mother's womb and naked I returned. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible says, in all this, Job sin not, nor charge God foolishly. Yet at some point, you read when you get to the 34th chapter, that Elihu reported that Job said, what's the profit for trying to live for God? Nothing matters when you try to delight yourself. He was wearing out, folks. You know what I mean? Ever been weary and well-doing? Or you just feel like, oh, I don't know if I can take another step of it. Now, this was Job without the Holy Ghost. That's why Nehemiah wrote, the joy of the Lord is our strength. But you see, we know in the New Testament, righteousness, peace, and joy. How? In the Holy Ghost. That's why Simon Peter would write it like this. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, if for a season you are in heaviness through manifold temptations or trials or that the, what did he call it? The trial of your faith. Being more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory. (laughs) I don't feel like praising the Lord. I don't feel like honoring the Lord. I don't feel like bringing glory to God. You don't know what I'm going through this week. You don't know how bad. Let me tell you, this is part of the enemy's job to steal, kill, and destroy. And whether you feel like it or not, Paul commanded, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, what are you saying? He said, praise and honor 
and glory. Whom having not seen you love, though you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable <laughs> and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you, no matter what you're going through, you've got to put a song in your heart. You've got to say, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to worship. I'm going to give glory to God. I'm going to give honor to God. Why? Because I know what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to steal my joy and I'm going to rejoice. Paul ended it up in Romans saying, being justified by faith, we have peace through God, our Lord, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulations work, and you go through the list, patience and patience this, and that, you remember? How can you glory when I'm going through something? Because it's working something in me. God's doing something through me. And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. At this hour, you're going to have to keep your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. And say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Every time the church doors are open, every time they're, they're standing and singing, whether it's a song of thanksgiving or whatever it is, I am going to say, Lord, I am here to rejoice. You don't know what I, what am I doing? I know what's coming at me. What the enemy is doing to attack me. He is trying to steal my joy and I will not succumb to that spirit that is this sin to steal, kill, and destroy the joy.